I first want to welcome you to Infuse Church again, uh, especially if you're just jumping in online. We're uh, in the final stretch of our series called I'm In. Um, before we get there, though, I just want to say um, that next week, you really need to be here. Um, next week is Big Sunday, like we talked about. It's our fall kickoff, uh, and it's just going to be a really great time, very practical message, um, that one that I think everybody can kind of get behind, whether you're Christian or not. So really want to encourage you to be here. Um, and if we haven't met, I said earlier with James that I'm one of the pastors here, um, and there's kind of a whole team of us that are teaching on Sundays. Um, again, like this Sunday is really incredible. Uh, we have um, people from um, our church teaching in three different locations today, uh, which is really cool. Um, we're helping out some churches that are in need of some pastors, um, and we're serving two locations as well. And so that uh, it's a really great thing, I think, because it, it says, hey, we really want to pour into people and develop people and help them to grow their gifts and become Christ-like leaders like we talked about last week. And I'm going to remind you all in just so if you ever sit in a movie theater and you watch people like, you know, round the bend out of the hall or something, and then they start like, look up, and, you know, where am I going to sit? Okay, so you, you start walking up the stairs because you have identified a particular location that you or you and your friends are going to sit. Uh, and it's not particularly a crowded, you know, a theater, so there's plenty of room. And you're walking up, and there's an individual that you've never met before, complete stranger, and they're sitting in near the staircase that you're walking up. And they look at you and they make direct eye contact with you, which already kind of is like, what are you doing? And, and they look at you and they say to you, hey, the seat right here is open, you can sit here. Okay? Now, I realize, because I know most of you, I realize for some of you, you would respond and you, you have been blessed with this ability where you would respond to that person and say, oh, that is so nice of you. Thank you so much. And you'll just plop down next to a complete and utter stranger. Okay. And that's great. But for the rest of us, like the 90 plus percent of the rest of us, that would be what? You would call that situation a we. Uh, okay, that's fine. Awkward. I was going weird, strange, right? It would be weird. It'd be like, dude, I don't even know you. Like, who are you? That's, you don't do that to people, you know? Like, we don't know each other. We're in a dark theater together. Like, that just set a weird tone for the rest of the movie, right? Okay, and that's weird. Now, scenario two. Hopefully, we've agreed that that's weird. Um, scenario two. Some of you are probably like, oh, I'd do that in a movie theater. Okay, just, just heads up. You learned something today. That's a little strange. Okay, scenario number two. All right, imagine yourself at, you know, like a work conference or um, a work event or um, like uh, church after church. There's a lunch after church. Or maybe if you're a parent and your kids are like at school, there's a school function or athletic function, okay? And all the parents are getting together, right, for the first time. And again, you're in a situation where you really don't know hardly anyone there, but it's the meeting or it's lunchtime or it's something where you're all supposed to get together and you're all supposed to find a seat, very similar to movie theater, right? And so you walk into that parent meeting or you walk into that lunch or you walk into that conference or, you know, breakout session or something and you really don't know anybody there, um, but you're looking for a place to sit, okay? And then a complete stranger, again, looks at you at this parent meeting or at this work event, looks at you and says, hey, there's an open and seat here if you want to sit with me. Now, here's the question. Is that nearly as weird? No, it's not nearly as weird. In fact, you might even think to yourself, thank you. That was really kind of you because I was feeling awkward and uncomfortable and I didn't know where to sit. And then you went out of your way to help me feel more comfortable and know what's going on, right? 
That would be nice. What is the difference? Why is a complete stranger in a movie theater saying that to you versus a parent meeting versus a work event saying that to you? Why is that different? And this is what I thought was kind of interesting too. Why is that different? And the conclusion um, that at least we came up with um, is because you have something in common. You have something in common with the rest of the people in that second scenario. You're all on the same baseball team. You're all in the same class. Your kids are all in the same class. You are all working for the same company. You may not know them. They're still a stranger, but there's something that you have in common. It's all salespeople at a sales conference. Um, you know, you're going, you're church people and you're at the same church event or something like that. And so you just assume because you all love Jesus, you're all going to get, a, a, you know, along together. So it's not nearly as weird because you have something in common. It's kind of like that video. You laugh. At some of the things that he said, because we all have that in common, right? You walk into the room, and it's like, God darn it, why in the world am I in this room again? What did I do? And so you then leave the room, and you have to come back five minutes later when you remember why you were in that room in the first place. And we've all shared those common experiences, and you laugh about it because we all have that in common. And when you have things in common, relationships go better. So think about, just as another example, think about. Um, you know, I don't know if you get the sense, I kind of have the sense that in the world today, especially in our Western culture and our digital culture, social media culture, people are just kind of angry. There's just a general sense of anger towards one another, a sense of distrust towards one another. You kind of go into new situations, new relationships, and you kind of feel like you have to tiptoe around everybody because you don't really want to upset them. And you're trying to be empathetic and sensitive, but you're also not trying to touch on a topic that could be controversial or difficult to navigate or could hurt someone or get someone upset at you. And so you just kind of feel like you don't know exactly sometimes where to stand relationally with one another. Or if you and your current relationships that are in your life right now, maybe you have a relationship or relationships, plural, that there is conflict going on. There's conflict. And of course, that doesn't feel good. Why is that? Why is that? Because you don't have things in common. You're disagreeing about what you should have in common, right? If you're in a marriage or a dating relationship or something and there's conflict, generally that's because there sh you believe, you each believe, that there should be agreed upon commonality on a certain topic or set of topics. And because there doesn't feel like commonality, then it doesn't feel like you're relationally on the same page. And thus there's conflict. And the difference between that movie theater and the difference between a conf uh, conference is because in one, you have more in common with others than you do in the other. And the thing that has popped up on the TV screen that's important to know about commonality is because commonality tends to lead much easier than conflict towards trust. Conflict is possible to lead towards trust, but commonality is a way easier pathway to trust than conflict or differences, right? And that's one of the issues we have in our world today is we struggle to find commonality and we want to be defined by our differences sometimes more than we want to be defined by our commonality. And therefore, it makes relationship and trust way harder. It's for why a long time in the church, denominations were so popular. 
And now every study and every research says that the next generation does not trust denominations and it does not attract people to churches. Well, why? Well, because one, I think ultimately trust has been broken, but two, it's because back in, uh, you know, 50 to 100 years ago, denominations, um, at, you know, whether you're Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, whatever it may be, that you had that in common. So if you walked into a church of a similar denomination, you should just be welcomed in, right? And you should be accepted because you're one of those people and you have that in common. I think a lot of those um, breakups within the church and denominational splits are so much more sometimes around common beliefs or common perspectives than it necessarily is about trying to follow Jesus better. Because we just want to be, and it's more comfortable to be around people that we have more in common with. It's why we have that expression, you should find common ground. Because we all know this to be true. Because in common ground, we tend to trust people more easily and then relationships can grow. It's also why if you walk along the sidewalk and you see a preacher, a sidewalk preacher, and they're yelling at you, you know, with a bullhorn, a big sign that says, you know, you're condemned, you need to repent, otherwise you're going to go to hell, and you should be wanting to go to heaven, something like that, you look at them and say, a lot of us look at them and say, I don't think that's going to work. Not going to be very successful. Why? Because I don't know you. I have, there's no trust between you and I, and I can't take your angry-looking sign as any sense that I should trust you anymore. Anytime somebody in my life yells at me through a bullhorn, I generally don't look at them as someone that I should trust. Therefore, we're not going to have a relationship. Therefore, your ideal of leading me to know Jesus is probably going to be unsuccessful. It's why at work, if you have had a difficult boss or a challenge getting along with your boss, you know, and they issue commands to you or something like that, you know, um, they're just not great to get along with. It could be because they're not the type of leader who seeks empathy, who seeks understanding, who is curious about you, right? Versus the, the boss who knows what you do, who's maybe the boss who's even done what you've done, and knows your job and knows how to do it and how much work you put into it to accomplish it. And they can empathize with you because you have common ground. And it tends to make bosses that we appreciate better because, and therefore, we can have trust with. And therefore, it leads to a better relationship. I think you got the point. Common ground is an incredibly powerful thing, especially when underneath of it all, at least from a Christian perspective, we have way more in common with one another from a Christian theological perspective, than we do different. And Jesus knew this, and he played to this all the time. All the time. Why? Because Jesus cared deeply about the people he was teaching, about the people he was leading, about the people that he was trying to help to change their life. And so when he would speak to an audience or he would speak to a disciples, there were so many occurrences where Jesus would first start by finding common ground with one another. And certainly people struggled to understand him. There was a part of Jesus that was difficult to understand. It even said, you know, like, if you don't have ears to hear, you're not going to hear. It was not necessarily easy. But Jesus attempted to find common ground. When you start reading the Bible and you get to the... Um, 
the latter half, or really almost the latter quarter of the Bible is the New Testament. And in the first parts of the New Testament, you get the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the first Gospel, Matthew, you're going to read about Jesus's life, and you're going to read in the next one, the next one, the next one. And you're going to read different accounts of that. And Matthew's Gospel, which Gospel means good news, because that's what we think. It's a story about Jesus, and the story about Jesus leads to good news for our lives. Um, but uh, he begins um, his teaching. He opens his big world tour, if you will, of teaching. Not world tour. It was like, you know, that little neck of the woods in modern day Israel teaching. He begins it with this Sermon on the Mount as Matthew documents it. Essentially, he gets up on the side of a hill. He gets up on the side of a mountain. And he does that in, for a number of reasons. One, because it's just like a great natural amphitheater to teach people from. You know, you're up on a hill and everybody's kind of down and your voice can carry. And sometimes you teach from a boat because, again, it was a great way for your voice to carry over the water so people could understand you. But also, he was mirroring Moses. If you're more of a Bible person and you know the Bible pretty well, he was pulling a you know, page out of Moses and, and Moses going up on the mountain and Moses declaring truth from the mountainside, that kind of a feel to what he was going. So he's trying to mirror and find common ground with his audience in acting a bit like Moses. And in this speech, the the preaching, the Sermon on the Mount, as it's so often called, um, he kind of goes over his top hits. You know, here's what what I want God, uh, or here's what God wants you to know. Here's how you should live your life and things to keep in mind. And there's some things that we have a really hard time following, but are really, really good to know. And so I'd really encourage you just, Today, go home, read Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, and hear them and just try them. Try them. You know, if you don't believe me, just try it out. Try doing what Jesus says, and ultimately, I think you'll, your life will be better. But anyways, um, and so a lot of times, so then he rattled through a lot of commands, okay, some ideas, all right? And a, a lot of these uh, topics, he starts in a very similar fashion, again and again and again. He starts it the same way, and here's how he started it. Here's an example of it, not just... This is just one instance of many instances. He said, you have heard it said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Okay? Now, if you grew up in church, you're like, oh, that sounds so familiar. And it's like, yeah, you know, there was some commands that said, hey, you, you should not commit adultery. Okay? You should not covet someone. You know? So, um, but the, the first phrase here is, is a real key. He said to them, you have heard it said. In other words, you're familiar with you know, you guys, you, and, and when he was talking to the audience, he was talking to primarily Jewish people. He said, hey, you grew up on this, which for some of you, you did grow up on this. He said, you grew up on this. You're familiar with this, right? Okay, now we have a common place to start for us to work with. You have made this the bedrock. Like this was something taught in the school. This was something taught in the, in the synagogues. Like this was a bedrock of Jewish tradition is, this, is a command like this right now. And so he said, before I even go on, I want you all to be on the same page. Everybody was like, yep, I've heard it said. I am on the same page with you, Jesus. The groundwork is set. And then he would go on. He said, but I tell you something more. I'm going to, I'm going to, make it more potent. I'm going to make it what God intended it. You guys have kind of twisted it. I want to clarify what this rule, you should not commit adultery, meant. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within, with her in his heart. And the audience is like, ooh, that's heavy. That's harsh. 
are you sure, Jesus? Jesus is like, yeah, no, I'm sure. Adultery is not just a physical thing. It can be an emotional and spiritual thing as well. And adultery leads to pain, and so will it lead in your heart as well. You don't have to just physically act on these things if you're emotionally. And this was kind of a trend of his message. Just like these things are not just physical issues. They're heart issues, people. Like you can't just hate your brother, but not murder them and be okay. It's like, no, that hate is doing something to you. It's hurting you in the part that matters to God. It's the part that really leads to your behavior and it's in here. And you gotta keep this go healthy too, not just your actions. And so then he keeps repeating this. He goes on again, he says, you have heard it said, and some of you have heard this phrase too, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said, hey, if somebody, you know, um, somebody, you know, uh, scratches you, you scratch them back, right? If somebody hits your car, you hit their car back harder, you know, that kind of a mentality. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. Hey, you've heard that said? Yeah, we've heard that said. I'm telling you something more. And they're like, oh man, that's, that's interesting. You know, they're bought in. They get what Jesus is getting at. If someone hurts me, I can't or shouldn't hurt them back worse. Because if you bully someone that's bullying you, then you're now a bully. That was Jesus' kind of point, right? Jesus says, nowhere is you hitting someone who hits you first going to lead to something good. It may stop them from hitting you, but more than likely, they're not going to wake up and be like, you know what? I apologize. That was so rude of me after you just knocked me out. This, though, turning the other cheek will consistently stop the cycle of escalation, which is really difficult to do because we have this part of us inside of us who wants to just win over our neighbor. And this idea of winning is by turning the other cheek and stopping the cycle of escalation. And he goes and does this all the time. In fact, he does this all the time in some of the most well-known parts of Jesus' teaching. Some of the well-known parts that maybe you grew up with in church or you've heard about before that have kind of stuck around and made its way into the fabric of our society and our culture. And these are these stories that we remember and, and we connect with and we sometimes talk about why because we have so much in common with them another great example is luke chapter 15 literally the whole chapter is stories that people remember right jesus stands up in front of people and says hey have you guys have you guys ever had a child that just was super disobedient people over there do people over here are fine everybody over here great parent people over here are struggling this is why some people watch online. So when they're like, oh, amen, pastor. He's like, nobody can hear me. Okay. Um, yeah, have you ever had a child be disobedient? Well, yeah, absolutely. If you have a parent and not had a child be disobedient, wow, bless you. Um, yeah, he's like literally and metaphorically, if you've ever had a child that was so out of control of spending money rec recklessly, not listening, pretty much living outside of your uh, parental uh, rules and boundaries and love, if you've ever been there, boy, do I have a story for you. And he shares this story about a prodigal son. And it's a very powerful story that addresses so many parts of God's relationship with us and also how we should treat one another. And then he says, hey, have you guys ever lost something before? It's like, oh, yeah, tell me about it, you know? I've lost sunglasses before. I've lost phone, wallet, keys. I mean, 
it's pretty crazy that we lose something, right? And, and you, it drives you nuts until you find it. Like, where is this thing? Sometimes you just go through the house, turning everything over. Have you guys been there before? And his audience is like, yeah. And he's like, that's God's love for you. And they're like, really? I never thought about it that way. But we remember those stories because there's something in common because God gets us and he wants us to get him. And that was the point. God, through Jesus' point, of, is like, hey, you're made, creation, humanity. You're made in my image, God's trying to say. I know you, and I want the best for you if you just trust me, if you just trust me. And those stories are so relatable and popular because we have things in common. And so that's, as a church, what we try to do, and that's, as individuals, what I hope you will do as well in finding that common ground. That's why, um, as a church, we preach a certain way. There's a very intentional way in which we deliver sermon series. I've had people um, tell me, um, you know, Taylor, your messages feel like uh, a bit of TED Talks, you know, kind of TED Talky, um, or they're not deep enough, uh, or something along that, you know, you, you didn't use scripture, you didn't really use scripture until the very end or something like that. You don't start with the Bible. And I was like, oh, that's, a, that's really interesting. This has happened many a times for the last um, eight years. And I think, I think that's a very uh, astute observation, um, but that is intentional. Because what's interesting a lot of times about a TED Talk is they start with common ground. And that's what gets you hooked. And that's what we do too. I start with a story that everybody can relate to and understand, and I personally relate to it too. And then I say, and then let me help you understand what God has to say on this topic. Because if you start with God's story, if you start with the Bible, which is God's story, only the people who trust and know God's story will more than likely connect with what's about to take place. So if I start with scripture, the chance that everybody's going to understand in the room, I've probably lost half, at least at Infused Church, because about half of you are still working through your faith. And that's okay. But I don't want to lose half of you. I want to bring you all along. And so I want to start with a common experience of losing a coin or losing your sunglasses. Or I want to start with an experience of having a difficult time parenting with one another or a similar shared experience of walking into a parent meeting or a movie theater or whatever and trying to find a spot to sit. And then you understand, oh my gosh, Jesus did that too. Why did Jesus do that? Well, because Jesus cares. And you start with common ground. That because regardless of where you've been or what you've done or your experience or your lack of experience with church for that matter, you've lived life and you're going to be able to relate. And that's a great place to start. It's not watering down God's message. It's making accessible and understandable to those, those of us who don't know the Bible well or don't trust the Bible at all or not sure they even trust God quite yet. I was having a conversation last week after service um, and an individual was sharing with me, they're very new to Infuse Church, only been coming for a couple of weeks, and they were sharing with me about why Infuse has been so helpful, and I'm like, oh my gosh, can you put this in an email, send it to me, and I'm going to share it next Sunday. And it was very nice of them, they, they did this, um, and so I'm just going to read verbatim what they wrote to me, um, and hopefully this will help to understand. Um, they said, it makes me feel home and welcomed. Instead of throwing the Bible at me, it pulls me into the Bible by connecting me to real life events. It puts myself in the Bible and relates it better to, uh, and relate it better to me. It helps me to understand and not feel alone. 
that there are others going through what I'm going through. I've read the Bible myself. I don't need someone to read it to me again. I need someone to help me to understand it and connect. Infused Church does that and makes me feel better about my life. It's sometimes, I sometimes feel as though Infuse is my counselor connecting me to God. And that's why we do series on like anger and we do series on priorities or habits. Uh, in October, we'll do a series about heaven. You're like, well, that's pretty Christian, isn't it? It's like, well, yes, but I think a lot of people, Christian or not, have thought about heaven. And then in December, we're going to do a series about grudges. I don't know if any of you have ever held a grudge before, so it may not relate to most of you because you're all just saints. But for those of you who have ever struggled or held a grudge with someone, we're going to talk about it. Currently, I've named the sermon Bah Humbug. Um, and that'll be in December, right? Um, but what's the point of that? Well, because God speaks to these moments. The biblical characters and God's stories have experienced the same feelings that you and I have experienced and struggled with it and navigated it, and hopefully either with or without God's um, presence in their lives, and one way or the other, we're going to have a good chance of learning from their experience from God's millennia and millennia-old story. And that's why we talk about it. And that's why it has authority. And we can find areas of common ground in it and realize that underneath of it all, that story is there because God cares deeply about us. God's story is there to speak to our lives and help us to live our lives as he intended it to be lived. That when we fall short or we sin and it holds us back and it takes life from our life because that's what sin does. It leads to death. It takes life out of our life. That's why when you look at someone lustfully, it may feel good for a moment, but then you feel bad after. And I'm not sure we totally grasp sometimes how that lust can impact our, um, our, our marriages or our existing relationships as well. And how hate can lead to hurting other people in our minds and our hearts, which lead to generally sometimes hurting them in real life. It may not be through physical action or general harm, but it could be through how we treat people and how we lack the ability to find common ground with them because we are so angry and hateful towards them. And that takes our life, and God doesn't want that. But also how when we live following God's way, our life is better. We have more life as it was meant to be lived. And we are full of purpose and peace and love. And that's not just my responsibility, that's our responsibility. So part of this message is hope is that you would, you know, get to the end and you say, you know what, Taylor, I'm in on building common ground with those people around me. I'm in on loving my neighbor. And you don't just love your neighbor to get something from them. You're not just loving them to invite them to church. That's not really the goal. You're just loving them because that's what Jesus did for you. He loved you maybe before you even knew him. He loved you while you were running away from him. He loved you because he just loves you, period. And then you started maybe finding some common ground with Jesus one day. Maybe it was here at church. Maybe it was through other experiences. But you started finding common ground with Jesus and his love and his truth, and you started to realize, wow, he's actually not a God out to get me. He's a God trying to help me and care for me. And a great way to do that, my friends, a great way to start that, to find common ground, is through curiosity. That's one of our values as a church. Curiosity is key. It's a key that just unlocks doors, unlocks relationships with one another. Curiosity is key. Jesus was so good at asking questions and making people think. Even when he knew the answer, he would ask people questions. He asked a ton of questions, tons and tons. He's kind of well known for it. 
to get people to think, to get people to talk, to get people to process and allow for a platform in which to find common ground and love them in the midst of it. Because that's the power of curiosity. Curiosity leads to commonality, which leads to trust. And trust is a phenomenal platform to love someone. It's a phenomenal platform to talk to, them, to talk to someone about Jesus. Again, not so that you can talk to them about Jesus, but it is a great platform to talk to them about Jesus. But if you don't have commonality, the rest is going to be hard because trust is not necessarily there. Some people will walk in and hear me on Sundays, and they will trust every word I say simply because I have the title pastor. And some people will come in and hear every word I say and absolutely try to disprove or distrust every word I have to say because I have the title of pastor. And that's why I say a lot of Sundays, and some of you are like, I'm so tired of hearing it. You know, like I had a season where I was an agnostic. I say that. Why? Because I've been there, I've done that, and the chance that you're going to tell me something that's actually going to undermine my face or catch me off guard, and oh boy, I didn't think of that, because I went through that journey for many, many years of understanding why Jesus is who he said he is. Is he really trustworthy, and is the story really worth following? A simple version of this, to wrap this up. The simplest version of this is just being a great friend. This is a trait of a great friend, a great neighbor, a great person who loves like Jesus. And it's how you get to know how to love Jesus too, because when you start having to love people like Jesus loved people, you start to understand Jesus even better because people are hard to love. And the more you learn about people, sometimes it's like, boy, the less I want to know about people. But through curiosity and understanding and commonality, you start to understand Jesus' love for his creation and why it was worth dying for. And this also, my friends, is a great reason why next week we're going to start talking a lot about small groups. And for the next really month, we're going to talk about small groups um, because this is what happens in small groups. It's a group of people that get together and be curious about each other to find commonality, which leads to trust and vulnerability and authenticity, which leads to growth. Because without trust, it's difficult to grow. But that's something you find in small groups. So a great next step for all of you in here today is not only just to start building trust and commonality with one another and making sure you're on the same page, but being here next week when we kick off a new series and we talk about small groups and we talk about um, the relationships of the people around us. If you would, bow your heads. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Um, thank you that you didn't stay distant. You came close. You came to earth in the form of a human being to love us and care for us and teach us. And you came not in the form that was big and grand like you had in the past. You didn't come in a cloud or a pillar of fire. You didn't come in a way that maybe we felt a little different from you. You came in a way that was exactly like us. You came in a human body, fully God in a fully human body, to show us what it means to be God and human, to be like you and human. You took the step to build that ultimate common bridge with your creation, us. You left heaven to be with us as us, to suffer like we suffer, to have joy like we have joy, 
to endure pain as we endure pain and to smile like we smile because that's what love does. Lord, help us wherever we are in our faith walk to trust you because you are a God who wants to have commonality with us. You are not distant, you are close. And even when you left this earth, you gave us your spirit to fill us so we could know your presence, to be comforted by it, to be strengthened by it, to know your peace by it, that you are not gone, you are with us. Lord, help us. If we don't know that, help us to figure it out. And if we have forgotten that, help us to remember. And if we need to take a breath sometimes and invite you into our lives because we've sometimes pushed you out, that we would do that. And we would know your presence in our lives. And Lord, when our hearts are filled and know your presence and have that love in our hearts, that we would share it with one another. Not through a megaphone, but sometimes through a simple hello. How are you? How can I help? Where do you live? Where do you go to school? That we could build relationships with one another and find common ground because that's what good friends do. Because that's what loving people do. And in that, hopefully, Lord, you would give us an opportunity to talk about you and how you've helped us and loved us. But it starts with knowing that there is trust and common ground between us. Lord, help us find that. Even in the relationships that are strained, help us to find that trust and that commonality. Because you're a God of redemption and repair and restoration and relationships. We see that through your entire story. So help that be true in our lives as well. Lord, we thank you for this truth that you're a God that loves and help us to know it. In your name I pray, amen.